Support the Bartholomew Town Podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. Today, a roundtable discussion on dual language immersion in Rhode Island. There's no question that economies of the future will be strengthened by and eventually depend upon a broad multilingual workforce and pool of innovators. Simultaneously, today, many people are unable to access educational and other developmental opportunities because of their lack of command of English and are left out of the field of potential contributors to an improved economy. From various European explorers to its formative roots as a colony and through its tenure and statehood, Rhode Island has long been defined by a shifting, expanding, and now more than ever integrated blend of ethnic identifications. Today, perhaps more than at any other recent point in the region's history, language barriers are becoming more and more apparent in areas such as school-standardized testing and hospitalization. In a report from last Friday's edition of the Boston Globe, Dan McGowan noted that the on-time graduation rate for public school English language learners in Rhode Island dropped to 71.7% from 77% in 2015. And now, Rhode Island policymakers are plotting how to resolve this issue as part of a broader education rethink. Perhaps central to this rethinking could be the World Language and Dual Language Immersion Act, pending Rhode Island legislation, which in sum would implement a statewide dual language curriculum and work to improve outcomes for both English language learners as well as primary English-speaking students. On this episode, I'm joined by a roundtable of respected dual language educational policy advocates here in Rhode Island for a detailed look at the Immersion Act as well as the many challenges surrounding this issue. They are Christopher Sanicor, Rhode Island College's Aaron Papa, and the University of Rhode Island's Rabia Hose, each part of the Rhode Island Roadmap to Language Excellence. Hey, I got an email from a listener this weekend, bill at bartholomewtown.com, and she had some very nice things to say about my recent conversation with a Publix Radio Scott McKay, but she gave me a few names that she says she would love to hear on the program including current ripped-ahead and former Warwick, Rhode Island Mayor Scott Avedesian. Well, it turns out, like Mr. Avedesian, I have, in fact, sat down with many of her requested guests. I get it. The older episodes can kind of get buried on the apps and whatnot. But you can head over to BartholomewTown.com anytime and scroll through all 93 episodes of the podcast. And looking forward to circling back with some of those early guests in the near future anyway. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, BartholomewTown.com. If you're just joining in, which I know there's a lot of you in the last few months coming on board. Believe me, I couldn't be happier. really appreciate it. But if you want to catch up on some of the episodes you may have missed before you discover the podcast, they're all there for you at BartholomewTown.com. All right, after a particularly long opening here, that was probably one of the longest ones yet, three minutes or something like that. I try to do an in-and-out mission and get you right to the conversation, but set it up today for you. Anyway, here it is, a roundtable discussion on dual language immersion in Rhode Island. I guess, Chris, why don't you just kind of give us a summary of, of, of what you've been up to and where kind of where we are today in terms of um, uh, language immersion in Rhode Island? Sure. I mean, I think I sort of tricked Aaron and Rabia to come in here because they thought I was going to try and speak too, but I wanted to give the mic to them the most because they've been doing the most of the work. But 
Um, you know, we're part of a group called the Rhode Island Foreign Language Association, and we've been um, kicking off this campaign for the past couple months trying to pass the World Language and Dual Language Immersion Act, um, which would via, you know, creating a specialist at RIDE would help expand dual language programs um, and world language programs across the state. So it's helping both students who would, you know, speak English as a second language or that's not their native tongue. And it's also just trying to get, you know, better and a lot more world language programs in school. So everybody's learning a second language. We can move towards, you know, a multilingual RI, but arguably we already would, you know, we would say that Rhode Island's already multilingual in a sense. Um, and so we've been trying to, you know, g- gain momentum for this bill. We've been talking to uh, state reps and state senators and educators across the state um, who support it. Um, and I know the bill was in there last year, too, and I, that was before I became part of it. I got involved because I saw that Aaron had, you know, was tweeting something one day, and I messaged her, and I was like, I kind of studied language acquisition in college and graduate school, and I want to be a part of this. I didn't know there was, like, a, a community of educators who were really passionate about language education. And I was like, do you have a job for me? She's like, I definitely don't have a job for you, but you should definitely come to our meeting where we're going to be talking about language advocacy. And I did, and it was at Rick, and I've been hooked ever since. I thought it was going to be a little side project for me, but it's if I'm not at work, I'm either sending out emails, filming state reps, or say senders. So it's it's been super adventurous and awesome. Aaron, when it comes to advocacy, something that, was, that, that Chris just mentioned that is so critical is it's not just all right, we've got English language learners, and that's one category of person that we've got to deal with. It's a broad thought. Absolutely. This is for all of our learners. Um, I went through a program in college called the International Engineering Program at URI, um, and that's sort of where we, where this whole dual language for all in Rhode Island kind of started for us. We were trying to find ways to get students coming out of K through 12 with multiple language skills so that in college they weren't starting from scratch. Um, so I, like I went to URI and I studied German and civil engineering and I hadn't studied any German before that. But if I had had a foundation in the language, it would have helped immensely um, to partner that with the, the engineering studies that I did both here in Rhode Island and in Germany. Um, so that was sort of, that's sort of our driving force for the, those English learner, English speakers that um, to add a, add a second language to their repertoire as well. But Robbie, we got to talk about the reality of the situation too, which is that there's a huge portion of kids in Rhode Island, people in Rhode Island, but I guess we're focusing kind of on kids right now that are just unable to access the same level of services, including education, simply because they don't speak English. Now, of course, you're going to have people saying, "Wait a minute, now this is America." got to speak English. But, you know, besides those people, for the reasonable people, where do we need to go from here to really take a step forward as a state in addressing that issue? Oh, I'm kind of like personally invested in this. Uh, I was an English learner when I first arrived here uh, at 11th grade in high school. And uh, I really had a difficult time, you know, adjusting. But then I was pushed to learn English and then forget my native tongue, right? That's what we do to kids who arrive to U.S. schools. We push them to acquire English and forget their own culture, forget their own language, and lose their mother tongues, right? So the dual language program would actually allow us to value their linguistic abilities and linguistic strengths and integrate that into the schools itself, However, the difficulty is that we don't have qualified teachers and 
I'm a teacher educator, so we're pushing to actually certify more teachers in dual language and in ESL education so that they are trained to work with the English learners as well as the dual language learners. Yeah, and this is something that Utah has kind of been out in front on, the state of Utah. They're kind of laying some groundworks. How can we apply some of their work and, well, first of all, I guess summarize what they're doing, but then how can that relate to what's going on in Rhode Island now, just in terms of practicality? So Utah in 2008 had a governor who was bilingual and a state senator who um, realized the value of having multiple language skills, and they have put together a really well-coordinated statewide effort, um, starting with a Senate bill in 2008 that put some funding, funding towards starting dual language immersion programs. Um, and they now have close to or over 200 programs statewide in a variety of languages, um, Spanish, German, French, Chinese, Portuguese, and Russian, I believe. Um, and they coordinate that from their state office of education with a team of, of folks who oversee the different language programs or the English side of the immersion programs. Um, and so it's really cost-effective um, that way, they're coordinating efforts, so not every district needs uh, a dual-language coordinator. They, they're able to coordinate across the state that way. Um, and then also in dual-language, um, the cost of a program is really not more than what we have as in a regular elementary or middle school now. Um, you don't need another teacher. You just need, say, two kindergarten teachers, one who teaches in Chinese and one who teaches in English, or, or one who teaches in Spanish and one in English. It's really interesting because Utah is not exactly a blue state, and this isn't a political issue. People would like you to think it is. I mean, that's part of the gimmick that they throw at you. Oh, well, you know, the the left part of the spectrum would be for this, and the right part of the spectrum would be against this. But of course, that's completely ridiculous. But in that spectrum, I guess, yeah, Utah is not Massachusetts. It's not Oregon. And you're hearing about a program that is kind of practicing future fiscal responsibility by by ad- adapting to the economies of the future. What's your perspective down at URI? You know, I went there and, uh, you know, I didn't have the language background I need. I went to a public school in South County. A lot of great things there, but my Spanish teacher didn't speak Spanish. So that was part of the problem. <laughs> I'm really proud to say that URI, actually, there are a lot of higher education institutions that are cutting down foreign language programs. But URI, on the other side, have been investing in foreign language programs. I mean, we have the Chinese uh, scholarship program. Uh, the TESOL program was created a few years ago, uh, and there are more foreign languages offered, so they're really investing in the future. Uh, so I'm really proud to be at an institution that values language education and uh, the dual language education as well. Uh, so URI is actually at the top of the game. It's not easy to make changes in a place like South County, Rhode Island, or in, in Rhode Island in general. You know, it's we've we've got these deep rooted regionalized positions, if you will. So it's a chipping away process, but I agree the university is out in front. Um, let's get out, let's get into the the legislation that's you know on the table right now and what that would lead to and 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 how that's moving forward and and I know that Sam Bell is behind it and you know we've seen we've seen some of that activity, but have you heard from anybody on the the, the institutionalist Democrats, if you will, that they're interested in this? Well, I think, you know, sort of going back a little bit, I I really think this bill is uh, a bipartisan bill, or at least it should be. I mean, investing in 
language education in Rhode Island has such a significant return on investment. Um, it's good for you know building on that cultural competency building on linguistic diversity that's already here on island. Um, and it's really good for the economy. So, you know, we can have a strong workforce that's engaging with the global economy, engaging with companies that want to come here. Um, and I think there's stuff in there in that mix that's good f- that, you know, Democrats, whether they're progressives, whether they're moderates, whether they're Republicans or independents can really jump on board with. Um, and I think that, you know, my experience is working with students in the classroom in uh, Roger Williams Middle School in South Providence, um, you see these students that are so bright and so eager to learn. Um, and in any other context, they'd be considered bilingual students. But unfortunately, what happens is you have students um, who are, when they're understood in these different perspectives, are thought of as having some type of deficit. So this bill would go a long way in trying to rearrange the way that we perceive students. And by having another teacher in the classroom or having a teacher that's you know certified in ESL um, or just having someone else in the classroom who can speak the different languages that students are exposed to early, um, it really changes the type of pedagogical game that students are engaged with. Um, and I think, you know, this is a really big step in trying to, you know, boost the idea of dual language into the mainstream sort of discourse. Um, but I think there still will need a lot, there still needs to be a lot more that happens afterwards as well. And we've seen a lot of great stuff with the, the new education commissioner, um, Angelica Infante Green, and she, you know, her background is in English language learners. And I think she started one of the first English language learner Dual programs. language yeah. programs for yeah. students, students with autism. autism. Yeah. yeah. So that was, I mean, we're in a really good position. I think this bill complements a lot of the different components and sort of movement that's happening in the, the education hub in Rhode Island. And what's what are some of the things that would have to happen? You know, I guess give me a, a rundown of post-legislative action. What are the key steps, the key things that need to be implemented in order to... Um, you know, really take a step towards dual language? Um, we need to hire a really dynamic person that can lead this effort um, and who has that experience um, and can bring people together across districts to um, do planning for dual language programs, provide professional development, which is what the yeah. bill would do. So this would create that position so that we can coordinate those efforts. Right now we have... Um, pockets of dual language happening in different districts. Um, there's a program in South Kingstown that was started uh, about four years ago, same in Pawtucket. Providence has been expanding dual language programs, but there's no real coordination among the programs. Um, so this person would be able to help coordinate that and really make more, more of an impact. It's important to note that this isn't just an urban core issue. This is a statewide issue from Hopkinton to... Absolutely. Absolutely. I guess there's nothing Definitely. in Northern Rhode Island. Really. <laughs> Smithfield. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I go from Narragansett to Nasonville. You know? <laughs> this is an issue that really affects everyone, though, and that's a misconception that is bandied about all sorts of platforms all the time, that this is an urban core issue, but of course it's not. I mean, the, you must see this just in South County on a daily basis, the ever-changing population of the region, you know, and that's a slow pace. So, And this will also allow, I think, uh, there's a lot of talk now with the teacher pipeline creating diverse teacher force. Oh, we all know yeah. that, you know, 75% of the teacher force or up to 80% of teacher force is white middle class and they're not necessarily the best people to, you know, serve. <laughs> 
the diverse learners in the classroom. So the learners in the classroom versus the teacher force doesn't really match. So, and there's now a momentum of talk uh, that we need to create our teacher to university pipeline so that the diverse learners could become teachers in the future. So I think the bill would allow for that too. Yeah, really interesting. We had, um, I had uh, Providence uh, School Board member Travis Escobar on here, and that was something that he pointed to. He went to Times 2 Academy. Um, we, we can get into the charter side of things if you want. But he noted that, hey, look, having a, a teacher that looked like me made a huge impact. How do you implement this statewide when we have however many school departments, however many school committees, situations where you know different municipalities and mayors in charge or whatever it is how do you create a uniform policy and approach to something like this even in a small state rhode island that's just hyper regionalized i mean the thing that i i feel like is a theme with all this is that you know multilingual families and multilingual students are already here um Mm -hmm. you know i we filmed uh city council president of central falls marie rivera and we were looking for like a fun fact to go with the video that we posted. And I found a fact on Central Falls. It was like 70% of Central Falls families uh, speak a language other than English. And I showed that to Erin. She's like, well, no, it's really like 70% of them are multilingual. And so that's what we put next to the video. And I think that's true. You know, a lot of families are speaking, whether it's, you know, Spanish and an indigenous language and also, you know, the English that they're learning in school. Um, the, the, the diversity of students are already here. Um, and so the key to making a type of policy that's so universal across the state is really, you know, doing stuff like this and bringing it to the mainstream and showing us, you know, the different type of multicultural communities that we have here and becoming something that we're celebrating, something that we're engaged with. Um, and so this bill is one of those things. The commissioner is one of those things. Um, but I think it's just folks talking about it, you know, getting out of just the hub of like, oh, it's really great that downtown Providence has, you know, like, you know, a couple of Mexican restaurants or like has, you know, new Thai places like those things are great. Don't get wrong food definitely brings people together sure Um, but there are these other factors of just you know we live in a divisive time united states right so it's good that we have um these type of initiatives that want to kind of find ways to overcome divisions while celebrating our differences as rhode islanders i think that's key and people are ready i think i mean we just had a dual language symposium last month at URI, Providence Campus, and we had uh, representatives from different districts, and people are ready. I mean, there were people who were already implementing the dual language program, and there were people who actually wanted to uh, start dual language programs. So I guess it's all about bringing people together to you know, form a universal policy and then really communicating among programs so that best practices can be implemented everywhere. Well, I was actually thinking, you know, maybe Aaron, you, you've been in more dual language classrooms than I have, and you as well. You know, when people walk into a classroom, um, in it's just a normal classroom. What what are they not seeing that would be in a dual language classroom? Like, what mm. are the key differences that you're observing there, and kind of like give folks in a picture of how fantastic it would be in a dual language classroom? <laughs> I mean, I think the mo- the main most notable noticeable difference is that half of the day is taught in a language other than English, um, but kids are doing they're learning all their subjects through both languages. Um, so this is good for students who are learning English. We know that this is actually the best program model for them to 
develop their English skills um, because having literacy and um, skills in their home language helps to strengthen that, and we can transfer those skills over to English. So you can, you're seeing them doing their math and science and, and literacy all in both languages. Um, and then there's, of course, some time in both sides of the day where they're bridging between the languages, so they're making language comparisons, cultural comparisons. Um, yeah, it's really that's really interesting. There, I mean, there was a time; it still is the case. But if you were um, not from you know the United States and you were from an, a, a country that English wasn't the, the f- primary language, that learning and mastering English was a you know a tool to potentially advance yourself or to expand your horizon, so to speak. Now that's still the case, but now it's flipped on its head where. Dual language, multilingualism, that is for a kid in the United States, that same sort of tool, that sort of passport to more opportunity as well. So this isn't just a an issue of let's help the, the you know, those who are plighted and burdened by a system that doesn't help them. This is this also does impact everybody. It's an opportunity for everyone in this who's hearing this broadcast. Absolutely. And we we started this advocacy work really about Seven years ago now, we did a we went through a process to develop the Rhode Island Roadmap to Language Excellence. Um, so when I was working at URI for the Chinese flagship program, we had a grant to bring together leaders in business, government, and education to look at what our language needs are as a state. So we talked to employers across sectors in healthcare and business, engineering, about what languages they need their employees to speak, for what purposes, and then... From that, we put together recommendations on how we can change education, language education, to meet their needs. And so this, that's where our push for dual language really came from. Um, and we heard from um, the state police that they, they get so many <laughs> calls that they need interpretation and they don't have enough people on, on staff, right? Mm-hmm. We heard from healthcare um, hospitals that obviously this is a life and death situation to have folks on staff who can speak in multiple languages. Um, engineering companies in the state talked about how um, not only do they need multilingual engineers or bus- people in business, but they, um, in order to relocate families to come work for them in the state, having an educational system that offers a program like dual language is really attractive and helps them to attract talent to their businesses. Yeah, it's all part of this term I've been using, an economic development salad. You know, if you're trying to attract um, potential companies, entrepreneurs, workforce, you know, whatever, institutions, hospitals, whatever it may be, you know, there there's going to need to be some sort of guarantee that you can produce a workforce that is going to be adequate for their needs. And this is another way to strengthen that. It's another tool in the box, so to speak, for Rhode Island. I sound like an advocate here. I'm, well, I am. I mean, I, you got to get excited. You know, about I am. Come on now. I mean, the, we, we've got to grow in this place. And these are the fundamental ingredients to moving past um, the, the things that we put in our own way all the time. Uh, and connecting with each other is such a small state. Come on, we've got to find a way to do it at a more in a more meaningful way. I think, and this is this is critical to that. Rycas, um, you're at a huge disadvantage if you're an English language learner, right? So, how do we measure students? Um, you know, across the board. You know, when when you have tests written in one language, how how do you tailor that? Do you tailor the test? You have to tailor the education. Do you just get rid of testing altogether? 
Um, what do we do? I'm not a test advocate, so I would say get rid of the get test of altogether. <laughs> okay, that's one. There are alternative ways of assessing students, like portfolios, yep. and using their linguistic strengths. Uh, so, And the tests are often biased and culturally biased. and uh, So I would say get rid of the test, but that's not an alternative, I guess, with the current regime. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would say come up with alternative forms of assessments that would really allow students to excel and uh, show their growth in alternative ways. Right. You know, and, 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 uh, but there will be people who point to, well, in Massachusetts, you know, every comparable community, you know, Rhode Island, whether it's in East Greenwich to a Long Meadow, or, um, you know, there's really no comparable community to the, the, the metro academic Boston, I guess, like the east side, if you will, to that area. You know, Rhode Island is always consistently below in every category, below Massachusetts. They've been at this process for decades, kind of building towards where they're at now. But that's in some ways, potentially, they're just building to perform well on a test. How can we measure whether or not programs like dual language immersion or any kind of uh, stimulus to education um, are paying off. I mean, there's got to be a better way than just is that is that the GDP of a state ultimately, or what is it? I mean, I think I I differ slightly from Robbie in the sense that I think it's good to have high standards and it's mm-hmm. good to have tests to look at where we are, especially in education. Um, but Pedro Noguera, who was a Brown University graduate and he's done a lot of education research, he's like my idol. He's fantastic. Said that. Only relying on a culture of results and test taking is like trying to lose weight and you just keep on looking at your weight on the scale and you're not doing anything else about it. So something like, you know, putting this bill forward, something like, you know, finding a commissioner that really reflects the diversity of the state. You know, these are all the different type of components that finally get us on the, you know, get us on the treadmill, get us running and trying to change how things are. Um, so th- it's one bit of that, you know, sort of soup in the way that we're able to um, – push for a different type of curriculum, push for a different type of teacher workforce while, you know, still retain the fantastic teachers that we have who are so dedicated to their students, you know, the ones that I saw in Providence, the ones that I saw in Brooklyn when I was working at, you know, a, a school that was dedicated only to emergent bilingual students. Um, so it's just those different type of, it's finding that motivation, but it's good to have clear standards. And I think that when we're all on the same page, when we're all talking about the importance of emergent bilingual students and getting them that the education that they need and for all students to be speaking a second language, that's when you'll start seeing some results for sure. Thoughts on that? Look into the future. Yeah, and extending the dual language programs, not only at the elementary level, but to middle school and high school so that the kids can really continue performing. What about taking this into adulthood? Who are not in school anymore. Who are not in school yeah. and, and also are, and should be a part of this and, and need to adjust that norm. You know, what, what's, what are the key ingredients? I mean, it's getting students out in the world as much as possible and getting that really, you know, thick experience of, you know, experiencing different culture, experiencing, you know, different people that look different from them, um, that speak different languages, that, you know, practice faith in different ways. And I think that's probably the best education. Um, but there's a whole field of sociocultural learning, which tries to not extrapolate language as a science, like linguistic linguistics does but rather really embeds it in the different type of cultural atmosphere it's from so you know instead of just learning you know how to say different things in spanish maybe we'll throw up a picture of 
you know, Nicolas Maduro and Juan Guaido, and we'll describe them in Spanish in different ways. So now we're dissecting the different symbols in which they present themselves. So we're not just learning about um, the language itself, but the way that these folks in different cultures are pulling off different identities. So I think those type of pedagogical practices are really important, and that's something I'd like to see more of for sure. Plus, I mean, extending the communication between districts and perhaps creating exchange programs among students Mm -hmm. in different districts. Like urban-suburban programs are really popular in different states, and why not have them here? And I think a way to bring parents or adults from the community in is to have some kind of community-based conversation hours or sort of more informal classes, perhaps. Um, I, I sometimes support the program in Pawtucket, and we started talking with some parents about creating a Spanish language um, evening program for, for them. So mm-hmm. as a way to help parents who don't yet speak Spanish to learn some Spanish, but also to bring them together with parents who are Spanish speakers and kind of create that. That natural dynamic, yeah. All right, we've got... Multi multilingual or multi because I made a terrible note multilingual or multilingual awareness day advocacy day multilingual yeah. multilingual advocacy yeah I put multi l so that didn't help at all multilingual <laughs> advocacy multilingual advocacy day happening now happening today at the state house so what time do does the uh, the things three kick to off five. starts at three, three to, to five, yeah. five okay so get there if you're hearing this on release day. Um, and if not, what are the best ways to engage with uh, with your work, each of you? They can. I've been tra- hounding people down and trying to get them uh, to be in our little video campaign. So if they want to get in touch with me, um, they can email me at SantaCoreChristopher at gmail.com. Um, and that's a great way to just kind of show your, your support for dual language programs and we can post it up. Contact info. Just come down to the URI Kingston campus. Rabia Haas, R A B I A H O S at uri.edu. If you'd like to reach out about different teacher education programs or professional development opportunities, yeah, I'm happy to help. And I'm at Rhode Island College in World Languages Education. My email is epapa, P A P A, at rick.edu. No dots in all of your, like, no dots in between your names. That's so convenient. No. <laughs> yeah, just smooth. Limit smooth that linguistic back. practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, this was a terrific panel. I'm just excited to be here. Yeah. I just, yeah. it's been, the, I didn't know if this was going to happen. And, you know, obviously I've been following your stuff for a while. So I'm glad that we got to be here. And it's been an honor to be able to speak to, a, you know, a, a, a discipline, a field, a passion of ours that we're so dedicated to and be able to have this medium to just kind of share it with Rhode Island. So thank you so yeah, much. My pleasure. I'm glad to be able to, um, you know, use the platform in a way that highlights really important and fundamental programs to move in the state forward. And these are techniques and tools that everyone everywhere can adapt. I mean, we're hyper-focused on Rhode Island, all of us, because we see something here and we feel it. Um, and, and it's a canvas that is beautiful and filled with history, but at the same time, it is timed in a lot of ways to just go, all right, let's go. And, and people such as yourselves on the ground making things happen – you know, that those are the levers of change and levers of power that are going to move this place forward. So I thank you for your time. As always, thanks for joining in on the Bartholomew Town podcast. I'll be back on Friday with brand new content, but you can always find every episode on your favorite app or BartholomewTown.com. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.